I'm making a note before I forget. Okay, so we're talking about on Wednesday nights, what? Very good. The word parable means what? Parallel. To, it means to literally lay down and compare something, lay alongside and make a comparison. And so the, the word parallel, there's a, a lot of interesting words um, that kind of have that origin, but the idea of comparing pal- parallelogram, for example, if you go study a geometrical figure where it's got a divider line where both sides are, are of equal volume and area. So a, a, a parable basically was Jesus' technique of teaching a spiritual concept, something about the kingdom. He would often say the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would use something common that uh, people would understand and, and then go into his teaching about the kingdom of God. So he does that quite a bit. It's a very effective tool. Uh, everybody could relate to the story he would tell. It doesn't mean that everybody understood the message. Often the, the apostles would have to have clarification. Lord, that's an interesting story. What does it mean? Last week, anybody recall what we... What what parable we? It's always a dangerous question because there could be somebody that's like nobody remembers. So you're like, well, I must have really impressed them with that one. But what did we do last week? The so, the parable of the soil and uh, somebody who's brave. Tell us, give us a summary. Where's our microphone man? Okay, somebody give us a summary of that parable, and we got Clint back here with the microphone. So who'd like to give us a summary? Uh, in 50 words or less, the parable of this. Hey, hold on a minute. Hold on. We got people tuning in through Facebook, live streaming. Okay, go ahead. There were stony places. There were thorns. There was some good ground. And then some come and snatched it away, the birds. And yeah, on the, on the rocky, on the, hard, on the right. hard path, right? The one that was very hard. Okay. So can I press you a little bit and ask you... How, if you were to summarize, what does that mean? What's the spiritual application? Tell us about the. the There's going to be some that will stay with with the gospel, and there'll be some yeah. that'll stay there for a little while. They're going to leave, and then there'll be some that just says, "Go on and get away from me." Yeah, yeah. So the hard path is like the word of God. That message. Thank you, Clint. Uh, and the seed hits, and like a hard heart, it bounces right off. There's, there's no softness or tenderness of heart, no penetration, and so um, that's the hard path. There was the, there was the one where there was uh, thorns growing up and the cares of the world. Uh, there was the fertile soil, and so the, the rocky soil. Basically, the, there, there's one classification where the person receives the message of Jesus, the gospel, and they obey it gladly. But then once the sun comes down and there's a little bit of difficulty, adversity, you know, there's no endurance. The seed doesn't survive. So, yeah, so we all kind of understand that we represent in the church which soil? 
the good soil, okay. And what makes the soil in the parable of the soils productive or good? What makes it worthy? It produces, it produces a crop, it produces fruit, so uh, we need to be fruitful for God. We need to produce. Yes? And I think it's how the seed is nurtured. Yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit, Jim, about the importance of weeding our garden, you know, uh, preventing. And somebody, I don't recall who it was, it might have been Glenn, talked about a faithful brother who was a leader in the church, and it shocked everyone when he fell away. And I said, you know, there's a classic example of someone who had been bearing fruit for God. They were in the good soil, but they allowed maybe the weeds to creep into their life, and Satan took control, and and he no longer was good soil, but fell away. Right? Makes sense if you kind of use that that line of reasoning or Thank you. Yeah, cult of, anybody that garden has a garden plot. One time I planted some pumpkins kind of as an afterthought. I had extra pumpkin seed. I said, I'll just put them in this little bank area here. And they sure enough, they grew. But you know what I did not do? I did not go back and weed. So by the time the pumpkins began to grow, there were so many weeds entangled in those little vines. I told Meg, I said, I don't think there's any way I can remove the weeds without damaging the healthy plant. I had not, I neglectfully had not taken care of the little pumpkins. And it's sort of like that in the church. If we have young Christians in the church who are not being helped and and mentored and trained and discipled, uh, the weeds can certainly intertwine and grow, and we'll wonder where they went and why they fell away. So it takes maintenance, it takes care, it takes attention. So you have to be... um, aware of how your heart is and and if you're growing, if you're maturing in Christ, producing a crop. And so uh, these are all good things to think about. All right, let's turn to Matthew. We're going to start around 21. And if you'll bear with me, I have a little bit of a lengthy introduction on this parable, but I hope it makes sense. So let's go to Matthew 21. Open up my Bible app here. And what I'm doing is I'm sort of visiting a a timeline. And we're going to talk about what's going on in the book of Matthew. And I'll just give you an idea that in 21, at least in my Bible, it says the triumphal entry. Who knows what that is? Okay, they're going into Jerusalem. What's happening? What's going on that triumphal entry? The beginning of the end, right? It's basically the last few days of Jesus' active ministry, his life on earth. This is when he rides in on a, a donkey or a colt, and they yell, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, throw down the, the palm branches and give him that king's welcome, which was a fulfillment of prophecy, by the way. So we see the triumphal entry simply a few days before his trial and crucifixion. Uh, In Matthew 21, Jesus cleanses the temple, right? And who knows why he cleansed the temple in Matthew 21? Anybody have any idea? Did it, was it dirty? Did it need brushing, cleaning, or 
Okay, Dennis has his hand up. Thank you, Clint. Why did he clean the temple? I've heard two different stories about that. Okay. One story I heard that these people were, what was legal, if you were lived a long ways from Jerusalem, you could sell your animal down there wherever you lived, bring the money up to Jerusalem and buy another one, hopefully the same kind. You know? It wasn't always practical to transport your sacrificial right. so animal, that, right? That was legal. Yeah. Some think that maybe these money changers wasn't giving the people what their animal was worth. Yeah. So uh, I wasn't giving them an animal that was worth what they were paying. It's almost like an out-of-town tax. Oh, you're from out of town and you're here to worship. Well, we've got an animal to meet that sacrificial requirement, but it's going to cost you. you Another another thing I heard about that, even if they were giving him the right uh, animal, they were in the wrong place. They should have been out of the temple doing that. I heard that. Yeah, I I think in that case, Dennis, I think both are true. Jesus was uh, full of of indignation. He was, would you say he was angry? How do we know he was angry? He became violent, right? Yeah. He threw the money money changers tables over, and I think he sat down. There might have been two occasions where he cleared the temple, and he used a whip to drive them out, right, and braided a cord. Jim? Well, I think the, they call money changers. People were coming from all over the known world with different types yes. of currency. Yes. And they could really rip them off with, uh, with a money exchange. They, pro- they profited from their exchange and were basically um, more interested in money than a fair exchange for people to worship God, right? Is that a fair statement? So would you agree that maybe God saw in their hearts greed and the ability to make a quick profit? Would, is, that, is that a fair assessment? Okay. A heart condition of greed. So he became very angry and indignant at their behavior, especially when people came to worship. Um, and then if you'll drop down to verse 43... Of chapter 21, we see Jesus um, bear with me. In, in the parable of the, which we have, by the way, already studied, this is the parable of the tenants. You remember the men that were renting or staying in a, like a farmhouse and, and the landowner had produced vineyards and, and got the soil ready and he sent people to come and collect some of the crop. And those people that were sent, how were they treated by the tenants? They were beaten up, in some cases beaten up, in some cases killed, and so the landowner never received the fruit that he was expecting. And in the very end, he said, here's my son. I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect and treat him the proper way. And they took the son and killed him. This was a, a parallel we see of the treatment of the son of God, Jesus Christ. I, I wanted to share something that's interesting. As he sums up this parable of the wicked tenants, he says in, in verse 43, Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. 
people producing its fruits. There's the spiritual application. So I want to ask you a question today, tonight. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, thank you for putting that up, Samuel. What do you think when he says fruits? What do you think that means? What kind of fruit is Okay, so the, so basically God gives us talents, he gives us abilities, and he wants us to use those to produce fruit. Okay, not that I'm arguing with you. I don't, I don't think the fruits are the gifts that he gives us. The fruits are something else. All right? Bear with me. Hang, hang on to that thought. All right? Anybody else? Speak up. Adding, adding souls to the kingdom. Is that what you're saying? You, you evangelize and share the gospel. So fruit may be people who are added to the kingdom. All right? That could be a fruit. So does everybody agree with Gentry? Are we on the right? Yeah. I, okay, good. We're getting some head nods, Gentry. You're on the right track. Good job. All right? So there's a fruit. Who else can think of a fruit of God's kingdom? It's all right. I can, I can wait. I'm not in any hurry. I can stand here all night. The Bible talks about the fruits being love, joy, peace, patience. Ah, the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, correct. So those are manifested in how we conduct ourselves and how we interact with other people, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, cheerfulness, self-control, all those things. By the way, I, I wish I was there. You know, I'm still, still working on the fruits of the Spirit. There's some days that are better than others, but yes, very good. So we have physical souls added to the kingdom, gentry. We see fruits of the Spirit, evidence that God's Spirit is working in our life and overcoming the flesh with spirit which is part of what God expects in his kingdom. Now, remember, the wicked uh, tenants uh, did not meet the requirements of the landowner, the father. And so he's basically saying what you have been given or entrusted with will be taken away and given to people producing the fruits of my kingdom. We've identified people, fruits of the spirit. Is there anything else? All right, how about when we're commanded in the Bible to love our neighbor and to be kind to people and be benevolent, to show compassion toward those in need? Is that a fruit? Think so? But that's just for people in the New Testament, right? Not us. It's just for everybody. You mean even today? What do you think? Is that something God wants us to do? Y'all are quite proud tonight. Come on, y'all. Is that something God expects us to do today? If he needs clothes, give him some clothes. Things of that nature is what we do around here. Is that fruit? 
I certainly hope so. Amen. How many of y'all agree with Paulette? Another type of fruit would be the acts of benevolence and kindness that we render to others, not because we like them, not because we just feel a sense of duty or obligation, but because we love God, and it's what he commands us to do, isn't it? Isn't that what kingdom people do? They're benevolent and kind and, and not selfish and self-centered. Remember the money changers we talked about? What was their motive? Greed, yeah, right. Moolah, the green stuff, money, coins. Uh, they were interested in themselves. God says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, be a servant. Give yourself away in service to others. So we see that the kingdom... Uh, kingdom residents, we in God's kingdom are expected to bear fruit. Otherwise, at the end, God's going to say, I'm, I'm not pleased with you. You have not been fruitful in, in my kingdom. Does this make sense? Make sense? Go like this if you agree. Thank you. Boy, y'all are, this is a tough night. Y'all are a tough crowd. Come on now. I'm, I don't like lecture. I don't stand up here and just talk. So, moving on. Yes, sir, John. Hang, hang on a second. We got a microphone coming. That's for the benefit of those that are listening on. Anytime that we do something that God says, thou shalt not do, that we're, we're not doing it, having any fruit. Amen. Yeah. It, we're, we're basically being an agent of the devil, right? When we, when we walk around pretending to be a child of God, but in reality our hearts are corrupt and we're fruitless, we're, we're deceived, aren't we, John? And unfortunately, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm just saying, unfortunately, there's some Christians, quote-unquote, who act that way. They want to put on the facade or the appearance of being God's people, but yet when you inspect their fruit, you look at their life and what they're doing and the fruits of the Spirit in their, in their life, it, it doesn't exist. And so again, um, as Jesus summarized this parable of the, the wicked um, tenants, we've got to produce fruit. It's so important. Matthew 23, I'm just going through the timeline. This is, remember, this is the I think they call it the Passion Week, the, the last few days in Jerusalem prior to the, to the trial, uh, to, the, to the Last Supper, the crucifixion, the resurrection. And so Jesus has a very, very busy agenda. In Matthew 23, if you want to flip over there, you're going to see what's often referred to as the seven woes. Anybody heard that before? And who is he talking to in the seven woes? Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious elite, those who know the law are very respected in the community, but uh, it's not really a uh, warm and fuzzy conversation, is it? He launches out with a very strong rebuke. Uh, For example, they preach, but they do not practice. They preach certain things. They talk about goodness and God and religion and all the rules, but yet they don't even practice these things themselves. Uh, um, somebody read, if you've got chapter 23, verses 4 and 5, could you read that for me? And we'll, we'll send Clint down to read that. 
And again, this is a lengthy introduction to our parable, but I wanted to set the stage, the groundwork for the parable we're, we're talking about tonight. Who's got that? Okay, Paulette, thank you. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Okay, so if you were to summarize that, Paulette, what is their motive for doing what they do? Be seen as somebody else. Exactly. It's not about pleasing God. It's about keeping up appearances, right, and being important. Makes sense? On television, keeping up appearances, and that's just about the way that woman is. Okay. So this is displeasing to God when our motives are to only enhance other people's opinion of self and we're not worried about pleasing God. So here's my question, Paulette. Jesus is really saying when he, when he condemns these religious leaders, where is your compassion? Answer, there is none. Where is your love? Well, the only love we have is for ourselves frankly. Where is your mercy? There is none, Lord, not in our lives, not toward others, because we're perfect. We're just hoping other people can, can rise to our level of commitment and status, right? We feel sorry for all the other poor people in the world that aren't religious like us. <sighs> Sound like something you've heard before when a, when a tax collector and, and a Pharisee enter the temple, one smote his breast, he said, have mercy on me, a sinner, right? Who, who went away justified? Was it the person that had an elevated self-opinion? No, it was the one who said, I'm a sinner. I need mercy. So in verse 25 of chapter 23, he tells these people that they are full of greed and self-indulgence. In verse 28, chapter 23, He says they are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, here's what's scary, congregation. What's scary is these people are the religious experts of Jesus' day. If you had a Bible question, you'd go to the religious experts. If you wanted interpretation of the law of Moses, you'd go to the religious experts. Yet they were corrupt. Their hearts were hard. They showed no mercy. They showed no compassion. Chapter 23, look at verse 37. Same week, we're just following the timeline. Jesus goes up to a high area and looks across the city of Jerusalem. Who can tell me what he says here in verse 37? Just summarize it. Is this a happy occasion? No? What's happening? God has sent you messengers, right, to give you my word and to encourage repentance. But what do you do? Wow, it sounds like a parable we just studied. You kill them. You persecute persecute them. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says, how I would have taken you under my wings like a chicken protects and takes the chicks. But you would not. You see, hardness of heart. 
thinking that they've arrived and they're somehow on this high level of religious status. But yet what they fail to do is show love, mercy, compassion. They're not bearing fruit in keeping with God's kingdom. So I'm, I'm weaving a very elaborate introduction here to help us it's setting the groundwork. I'm building a foundation for this parable I'm getting ready to read. You follow what I'm doing? This is like a very lengthy introduction. Jesus is saying to us, if you're going to be in my kingdom, bear godly fruit and make sure you do it to honor God, not self. Don't be like the religious leaders of the day. Now, in Matthew 24, at the beginning of Matthew 24, basically the whole theme of that chapter is, Hey, folks, you better get ready because I'll be coming back. I'm going to exit. I'll be ascending. I'll be leaving, but I'm coming back. He talks about two events in Matthew 24. One is destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. The second event he talks about is the return. When the trumpet sounds, all of us will be caught up in the air and stand before the judgment throne, right? And we'll be judged. What will be judged? according to whether we produce fruit for God's kingdom. We can, we can talk a good talk. We can go to church every Sunday. We can carry our Bible. It doesn't mean we're producing fruit. You follow me? This is so important. It's such a fundamental teaching. Sean? All right. Yes, sir. Um, sometimes... Right, and then in the judgment, we're not gonna have time to think where can we go. We're not even gonna hear the really. We're gonna be caught in the air while the trumpet is going off. Oh, you mean where will we be? No, I'm saying when the trumpet sounds, we'll be caught up in the air right away. We're not gonna sit there. If we man on earth, we might. Well, no one's the only man on earth. Yeah, all, all I know is that there's well, some... Well, I, I was saying was because sometimes I hear loud noises, you know, big booms in the atmosphere or wherever it is. Yeah, be up and there I'm, somewhere, Sean. I'm thinking, oh, this, this is a judgment, but I guess it obviously wasn't, but... Either we'll hear it or we won't, right? If we're dead, we're not going to hear the trumpet. But the the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first, right? So I I envision, Sean, that people will be popping up out of graves, those that are in Christ. There'll be some people standing around that are not God's children. They're not saved. They're not Christians. And they're like, what is going on? Why are these people popping up out of the sea? Why are they popping up out of the grave See, God is making a point. He promises the resurrection, right, unto life. And so God is making a very important point to the lost world. See these people popping up out of the ground? See the people going up in the air? These are my children, and I promised them that I'd return one day, and they would be resurrected. That's happening. So they're like, well, what about me? I'm going to take care of you in just a minute. Let's let them get up in the air, right? The trumpet sounded. All the bodies have risen up. He's bringing with him the souls of those that are already in paradise. They get reunited somehow to these bodies. Then the rest of the people are caught up. Everybody's caught up and stands before the throne, this judgment scene, and we're judged. 
and will hear either well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me. You'll either hear that or the other. That's the only two messages. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say tonight is we have to bear godly fruit in his kingdom in order to be pleasing. And that's, that's just what's expected. Yeah, Jim? One of the ladies at the home this morning uh, regarding that picture Judas painted for us called Jesus the Great Upper Taker as opposed to Undertaker. Uh-huh. All right. So in Matthew 25, in Matthew 25, we have, it's just, he comes right out of the chute, boom, 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 telling parables, right? Now, we're not going to cover those three parables, but he talks about the foolish and wise virgins. What was the difference? Some had oil, some ran out of oil, right? This is the earthly parable. It represents readiness, being ready for the return of the master, being prepared, right? Uh, the second parable is a parable of the talents. And I think somebody made reference to talents earlier. I think that was Roy. So the talents are very important. The physical skills and abilities God gives us, do we use those for his honor and glory? Um, so it's a, it's a message of stewardship and honoring God. And then the peril that we're going to talk about tonight is in Matthew 25. Matthew 25. So I'll give you a minute to flip over there. This is the last parable in Matthew 25. The parable of the sheep and the goats. So I just want to read these. When the Son of Man comes, this is verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. That's what you were talking about, Sean, right? The end, the judgment. Before him, this is everybody, the whole population of the world, before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So there's a division going on, right? He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. Paulette, that sounds like something you said earlier tonight, doesn't it? I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to see me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now it shifts to the goats. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me naked, 
you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or naked or sick in prison, and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Very interesting. All right, let's, let's draw some comparisons. Why sheep and goats? Why did Jesus use those in his parable? Anybody know? I'm sure they were all very familiar with those herding animals overseas. They saw them every day, Clint. Every day. Now, I don't know about you. I grew up in Tennessee and Alabama, and most of the time when I think of a goat, I see these horns, right? I think of a billy goat with horns, and sheep don't have horns. It's easy to tell the difference. In the Middle East, very often the goats don't have horns. So if you're 25 yards away or 50 yards away and you look at a big flock, there's goats and sheep mixed in together, and they all kind of look, they're you know white, speckled. They have four legs, and they look kind of alike. It's hard to tell the difference between the sheep and goats, at least in, in Middle Eastern countries. So there's not much difference between the sheep and the goats, is there? But who knows the difference? The shepherd, correct? Now, in the, in, in the case of this parable, when the shepherd divides the sheep and the goats, we understand this happened every day, Clint. People saw this all the time. I want you to remember the good shepherd knows the sheep. The good shepherd knows the goats. God knows your hearts. He's watching carefully. He's observing your life and your fruit. Now, the division of the sheep and goats and the pronouncement of judgment upon these people in the kingdom is based upon what? Is it based on how they look? This is the spiritual application. Is it, what's the separation based on? How the people look? You look like a goat, sir. You look like a sheep. Welcome to eternity and eternal bliss. Sorry, you're going to the fires of hell. I don't like the way you look. Is that what he based it on? What does that mean? Okay. Give her the microphone. I want her to talk about, what do you mean what's inside? What do you think? What are you doing? How are you manifesting these fruits you keep talking about? It's what's inside of you, how you're thinking about God, what you're doing for God. It's what's inside. It's not the outward appearance. Okay. So are you saying that God's decision of salvation or condemnation is based on our inner character and how we treat people and how we're kind and merciful? Good to me. Kind of what I'm seeing in the parable. Dennis? The way, way I understand it, and I guess everybody does it, God loves us. God loves mankind. The only way we can love him back is to keep his commandments. And Say that again, please. Say that again. We have them right here. The only way we can love him God. back 
Just keep his commandments. Just keep his commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the greatest command is love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and being, all your being. And then love thy neighbor as yourself. Love thy neighbor as thyself. So basically, on any given day when I'm going down the neighborhood and I see my neighbor, I go, hey, man, I love you. Right. Is that it? Is that all that's required? Oh, okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Give this woman the microphone. She needs to talk about this. Right? I need to know more. Tell me more. You don't wait for them to come to you. You go to them. You you go to really? them whether they... Uninvited? If that's what it takes. You don't need to be invited. When people tell you that, hey, just let me know what you need... That that's just an excuse. I've been guilty of saying that myself. Fail, right? But let me know if you need anything. Yeah. But sometimes people get offended, and I know that. But you you go to them and you try to do your best for them, and that's just like going to a funeral home. You don't go up there to make a show. You're there to show empathy for the people and sympathy because you know, not not because you were. You feel like you need to be there. It's because you're supposed to be there. You're supposed to be there to show them that you love them and that you care for them. You can't be everywhere just like today. I have it's coming home from Nashville, and a guy walked around my car holding a sign saying he needed money. And now you're making me think, should I have rolled my window down and gave him money? Yeah, that's a hard one. But... You know, he had a sign saying, I have two kids, they need diapers, they need food, and yeah. all that. Yeah. And he was singing some kind of song. But I, you know, we was in the midst of a big traffic light, and yeah. he walked around my car and didn't even give me time to even try to give him money. But right. I didn't give him money, but maybe I should have. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a dilemma we all face, and I appreciate you sharing that. So... Quickly, while we have time, thank you, Lisa, and, and I agree 100% with what all of y'all have said um, because it's biblical. The idea is it's not about putting on a show. It's not about putting a badge on you. I'm God's child. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. God says, wait a minute. It's not the T-shirt that impresses me, right? You can, you can sit in a pew. You can call yourself a Christian. You can sing hymns. You can, you can tell people how God has been so good to you. Bottom line he wants to know if you're producing fruit for his kingdom, particularly in, in acts of kindness and love and mercy toward those who are downtrodden, right? Is that what the parable says? dishes, you see that the floors need to be swept and the bed needs to be made, go do it. Don't ask, do you need any help? Amen. All right, so quickly, let's look at this parable, and, and I want to just, I want to look at verse 34, He's, I'm sorry, verse 34, and I want to ask you a question as I look at this list. I want to ask you this question, do you have to have a certain status in society, a certain education, or a set of skills or talents to do any of these? And I want you to listen carefully. Feed somebody that's hungry. Take any special training? How about 
somebody that's thirsty? How about a person that needs hospitality or maybe a warm bed? That takes special training or skills? Do you have to have a degree? Do you have to have a big house, fancy car, savings account? I don't see any of those things necessary, do you? I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Now, in verse 37, it's sort of stunning because look at the people who are righteous, that is, those who are bearing fruit and pleasing to God. They're surprised. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see any of these things? And he says in verse 40, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So in the last couple of minutes, I want to talk about what in the world does that mean? What is the least of these? Y'all help me out. What does that mean? What is the least of these? It doesn't matter your social status or who you are what your bank account looks like, so whatever, it doesn't matter. If you do it to one, you do it to all. All right. I think, Clint, what he's saying is those people that are down here on the social strata, right, the people that have messed up, and society doesn't have a very high opinion of a lot of these people, prisoner prisoners, people out on the street because of either drug addiction or women of ill repute, people who've messed up, runaways, people that are broke because they made stupid decisions in their life and they, and they were unwise. Now, now they don't have anything. And, and we tend to go, well, you get what you deserve, you know? You, you kind of made some bad decisions. Good luck to you. But yet they showed compassion toward those that society tends to to like almost reject y'all see where i'm coming from what jesus is saying is don't be kind to the nice people don't be kind to the wealthy guy in town when he needs a ride you show compassion and concern and care for the people that society rejects the untouchables all right let's go back to the ministry of jesus did he touch lepers Did other people touch lepers? Did he talk to women who were prostitutes? Did he he talk to people from whom he cast out demons and loved them unconditionally? The woman caught in adultery. What were the religious experts ready to do? Stone her! It's what the law of Moses said to do. Join us, Jesus, as we carry out the law. What did Jesus say to her? Woman. Go thy way and sin no more. He showed her compassion. He showed her mercy. He took the man from the Gadarenes that had a devil inside him. Nobody could bind him. And Jesus sat him down and clothed him and fed him. You see, Jesus says, if you want to be in my kingdom, you show compassion to the people that society rejects, the untouchables. That's how you show me that you love me. Man, that's so important. Church, if we forget this, we've missed the mark. That's what church is all about. Loving the unlovely. And loving the people 
that society rejects means that we're loving Jesus. That's the least of these. I hope that we can understand that we've got to get out of our comfort zones. We've got to leave the comfort of our couches and our houses and get out there in places where people are hurting and reach the least of these. If you're not willing to do that, then I'm going to tell you, you need to read the parable of the sheep and the goats. The goats think they were fine. They did all the right things, and boy, they sure looked like sheep. But in the end, they were separated out and cast into eternal torment. Something to think about, something to consider. We don't render these acts of service and kindness in order to be saved. We offer these because it's part of our character of who we are and how the Spirit has transformed us into people of compassion, people who reach out, who feel compelled to do things. And Lisa, I really appreciated your point tonight. You don't ask, what do you need? Call me. Call me if I can do anything. You go over (laughs) and you say, I'm here. I'm ready to help. Tell me what I need to do. Right? worked for us that got put in jail i was trying to go to see him Uh oh sorry but but they you have to have permission yes to get in so how do you a lot of times the jails lisa will have what's called a visitation list right right that's what they tell me and so you you basically will tell that that inmate i'd like to get a message to inmate so-and-so that I would like to be included on their visitation list. Tell them to put me on their list, and once it's confirmed I'm on their list, I can come see them. I, on, during visitation, a lot of times the jails will set up a visitation time, and you can do a, You can talk through the plexiglass on the phone. How are you doing? I'm praying for you. I just want to make sure you're okay. I love you, and, and you're not alone. You know, you're not alone. There's people out here who love you, and we're going to get through this, right? So you just get on the visitation list. You have to kind of learn how to play their game and, and, and get through the rules. Uh, in Montgomery County, I was a chaplain for Montgomery County Sheriff's Department, so I could go in and visit inmates. As a chaplain, I had a badge and went through. I had the security pass and could go in and visit different people. At one point, we were actually baptizing inmates in the jail uh, and giving them Bible studies, and they would... Um, to teach other inmates, and I was teaching classes on Saturday. We'd have a worship service in the in the workhouse. So there's ways to get into the system. You just have to kind of understand their rules and play by their rules and, and learn how to do it, but there are ways. Um, may I mention to Tennessee Prison Outreach Ministry in Nashville, we've had representatives that come. They're always looking for volunteers that can mentor people that are in transitional housing. They've gotten released from prison. And now they're trying to get reestablished out in the working world and build a wardrobe and get their driver's license and find work. And, and they're looking for Christians who would mentor them or help them. Uh, in, the, in, in the case of some of our ladies, they collect clothing items for the ladies' dormitory, which is part of TPOM. They have a men's dorm and a women's dorm. So there's all kinds of opportunities to serve and minister. If you'll check out TPOM, I can give you a phone number or a website. But I currently mentor for TPOM and have worked with a man that recently got out of Riverbend uh, Prison. And um, great guy. He's really doing well. So, 
anyway, um, there, there's ways you can serve and minister. It doesn't have to be prison ministry. It could be, uh, I, I tell you where there's great needs is, is domestic violence shelters, um, Second Harvest Food Bank, um, you know, counseling and mentoring homeless people, volunteering. There's just so many opportunities to serve. And I appreciate those who do those things behind the scenes here because I think that's precisely what God is saying. Reach out to the ones that are underserved in our community. So I've, I've gone over time, but thank you so much for your comments. Uh, I appreciate it and hope, hope this parable touches some hearts and helps us understand what God expects. In just a moment, we're going to be uh, singing an invitation song. Following that, we'll do announcements. Warren Wallace will be leading our closing prayer. So if you have an announcement or an update on the sick, um, Warren can take that and then pray for us in just a moment. We always like to offer a brief invitation. And um, I know elections are coming up. I think these are midterms is what they call them. Uh, I don't, this is not a political announcement. Don't, don't worry. But there is, a, there is a passage in the Bible that talks about making our calling and election sure. And so I think about as a Christian, <clears throat> if we're obedient to the word of God, um, we're covered in the blood of Jesus, we're confident in our salvation, we can be excited and look forward to being in heaven. And that's how we make our calling and election sure. Paul said, I fought the fight, kept the faith, there's laid up for me a crown. Paul was confident, but he suffered so much on this earth. Being a child of God is not an easy task because often we're called upon to sacrifice. Jesus said, if you wish to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. So tonight, we just simply invite you to come. If you're unsure of your relationship, if you need to confess sin, if you need encouragement, if you're depressed, sad, frustrated, angry, uh, or want to rejoice, come and we'll pray for you. We'll, We'll do whatever you need to do. Uh, to get your relationship on track with God and, and share it with us. We want to know what's on your heart and what's, what you're burdened with. So the invitation is 576, the fountain free, the fountain of salvation, living waters offered at the throne of God and offered to us through the blood of Jesus. Let's stand and sing 576. There's a fountain free, tis for you and me. Let us haste, oh, haste to his spring. Tis the fount of love from the source above, and he bids us all freely drink. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me. Thirsty soul, hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. There's a living stream with a crystal gleam from the throne of life. Now it flows. While the waters roll, let the weary soul 
hear the call that for freely goes. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come just for you and me? Thirsty soul, hear the welcome call. Tis the fountain open for all. There's a rock that's cleft, and no soul is left that may not its pure water share. Tis for you and me, and a stream I see. Let us hasten joyfully there. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. Be seated, please. Thank you, Howard. I was asked to offer a prayer up tonight, Warren, for Christy Lapointe, L-A-P-O-I-N-T. Christy and her husband had just moved into Fieldstone. That's the assisted living where Jim and Glenn uh, so often visit. And uh, Jim came back to meet this couple the next day, and um, Christy mentioned that her husband had passed overnight. So here she is in this new assisted living facility and her husband's gone. So Christy LaPointe. Um, we uh, talked to Margie. Meg and I spoke to Margie Holt and she's just asking for our prayers. Really difficult on her. She feels particularly vulnerable at night and very alone. And so um, just if you would just include Margie, Margie Holt and um, her grieving and, and just feeling isolated. She's got some health issues that also are very difficult for her. Lady Sewing Group. Oh, by the way, any other updates on the sick? Yes, Wanda? Yeah. Okay. Did you get, did you get that, Warren? Robertson. Uh huh. Yep. All right. Anyone else? Any health issues? Updates? Okay. Okay, Leroy Allen, Callen. Okay, Leroy Callen. All right. The fall bonfire is coming up this Saturday. It'll be at Chris and Carrie's house. Uh, Five p.m. They'll have games outside. Six p.m. meal, um, soups, sides, desserts are all needed. Uh, they will provide uh, meat, buns, condiments, utensils, drinks, and some mores. And there's a hayride as well. So we encourage you to come to the Lanier's house for that bonfire. There's an elder deacon meeting this coming Sunday at 4 p.m. Ladies are invited to a baby shower. Matt and Alexis Hensley 
are having one at Sunday uh, at 2 p.m. here in the Fellowship Hall. They're expecting a little boy, and they're registered at Amazon and Target. Hillcrest Congregation's having a gospel meeting November 6 through 9. Alan Watkins, uh, there is a flyer in the foyer. Ladies' Day at Bumpus Mills, uh, November 12th. There's also a flyer on the bulletin board. And the Ladies' Devo will be Tuesday, November 15, 630, at the home of Linda Bagwell. There's a Thanksgiving Youth and Senior Supper. That's Wednesday at 6 p.m. Um, there's a sign-up sheet on the Youth Bulletin Board. If you can bring food and help with the meal, that's great. So be sure to look on the board and sign up. What's our count tonight? Way, 101. That's wonderful. Okay. If there's no more announcements, we'll ask Warren to come and, and uh, dismiss us. Thank you. Let's pray together. Our almighty heavenly father, we thank you for this day of life you've given us and we thank you for all the many wonderful blessings you give us every day. We're thankful that we have this opportunity together with brethren and and study your word. We're thankful that we have your word to guide us to salvation, that we can be with you in heaven. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our health, and uh, we have many on our hearts that uh, need our prayers and need your help and your healing. We're thankful for the the progress of some. Uh, We want to to bring these names to you. We pray for Bill Young. We're thankful for the progress he has made, and we pray that you will continue with his healing. We pray for Christy LaPointe. She has recently had to relocate to assisted living with her husband, and now her husband has passed away. Uh, We know she is devastated at the the loss of her husband, and we pray that that we can give her comfort and that uh, you will comfort her heart and help her to heal. Heavenly Father, we pray for our Margie Holt. We know that she is lonely and she has health issues also. And the loss of her husband is, has been devastating to her. We pray for, uh, for her. We pray that we can help her. And Heavenly Father, we pray for Karen Robertson, who has uh, had heart surgery and is facing more heart surgery soon. We pray that the doctors can do the, the very thing that is needed to, uh, to heal her. And we know that that can only be done through you. And Heavenly Father, we pray for Leroy Callis. Uh, he has had his cancer return, and that is such an awful disease to, to be struck with. We pray that uh, you can bring about his healing And we do pray for a cure very soon for all the types of cancer that that plague us. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for everything you give us. And we pray that we can be more like your children and be better examples to the community. Please be with us as we leave here and bring us back to worship you again at the next appointed time. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.